Amen. You may be seated. Boy, wasn't that, and this has been a worshipful time. Open your Bibles with me. <clears throat> Open your Bibles with me to Proverbs chapter 2. Proverbs chapter 2. I am so thankful that you're here this morning because I'd be really lonely if you weren't here. And I'm so thankful for those that are watching online. I want to welcome you just like Jeremy did. So thankful that we are able to worship on campus and online right now. So everyone, let's open our Bibles to Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 2. We are in a sermon series on the family. And so from Mother's Day, at least through Father's Day, probably it's really going to go most of the summer, we're going to be in Proverbs. The series is called, This is How We Family. And so this morning's sermon is titled, This is How We Marry. It was 30 years ago this year that I got to perform my first wedding ceremony. Eight years old. I was eight when I did my first. 30 years ago this year, this year I got to do my first wedding ceremony. I was the youth minister in Denton, Texas at Grace Temple Baptist Church and worked doing graduate work at the same time. And a girl and her boyfriend that had kind of grown up in the uh, youth group, they asked me to do their wedding ceremony. First one I was ever going to get to do. <clears throat> Scared stiff. And so, I mean, I had my notes and I had everything written out exactly what I needed. I didn't want to leave anything to chance. And so uh, I'm standing there and as the bride's getting ready to walk down the aisle with her dad, I had in my notes, cue the bride's mom to stand. And so she was sitting right there. And so as the bride and the music and I, I cue and I mean, I, I got it just right. And she stood up and, uh, and everyone stands up with her. She walks down the aisle and oh my goodness. Everything's just going swimmingly. And so she's standing there, and I talk about how wonderful marriage is, and we are gathered here this day to celebrate the union of her name was Terry, and his name was Darren. Terry and Darren, and, and go on and on and on. And it was my first one, and so I did. I went on and on and on a lot longer than I should have. And so then it comes to the point where we're going to pray, and, and we pray at the beginning of the service, and we pray, and then she's given away, and everything is just going well. And so now we're about halfway through the ceremony, and I had forgotten to say, thank you, you may be seated. The entire crowd had stood this entire time. And I'm not kidding, you can look at any wedding ceremony I do now, have everyone be seated. I write that at the, on the top of the page, have everyone be seated. It was uh, certainly memorable for me, I hope it was memorable for them. And so over all these years now of getting to do wedding ceremonies, I've done them here in this worship center. I've done them in our chapel, in our Sunday school classrooms. I've done wedding ceremonies in our Sunday school classrooms. I've done them in the Hardy Center. I've done them in my office. I've done them in other churches, in other, in other wedding venues, in barns, in castles, in homes, in backyards. I've done them in parks. I've done them in gazebos. I've done them indoors when it was cold. I've done them outdoors when it was, no kidding, 105 degrees outside. That was the listed temperature, 105, and we were in tuxedos. Will Rogers Park, never forget it. I have done them every day of the week. Every day of the week now, I've performed a wedding ceremony. I've done them every month of the year. I've done them morning, afternoon, and evening. And of, of all those varieties... There is a beautiful 
time-honoring, sacred constant that, that weaves throughout all of them. Regardless of how many songs were sung or no songs were sung, whether there were hundreds of people there or there were only two witnesses there, there has been a constant to every single one of them. A man and a woman faced each other, made promises to live in monogamous, lifelong marriage until death do they part. The same constant through every single one of them, regardless of the variety. Two people, a man and a wife, made, man and woman, made promises to each other to live together in holy matrimony. Now, where do we get that? Evolutionary biologists and evolutionary psychologists would want us to believe that evolution is what produced this desire for monogamous union. There's no way. As a matter of fact, if we were to take evolution, which really deals as much with animal species as it does with human species, we would find that in the animal kingdom, monogamous union is found among a very few limited number of species. By far, the rest of the animal kingdom, well, you know what the, the goal is. It is that as much as breeding as they can. There's no way we see monogamous union in the animal kingdom to the extent that you would think evolution would produce that. Monogamous union? One man and one woman for life, and you're telling me that evolution is what produced that? Friends, there's got to be something more. There's got to be something more to the fact that the greatest, most profound human-to-human relationship ever is the marriage relationship. Now listen to that again. The most important, most profound human-to-human relationship is the marriage relationship. And so let's figure out then what the Scripture teaches us about marriage. Friends, for something that is this important, we better figure out what the Bible says about it. Here we go. Proverbs chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. We're only going to look at two verses. Proverbs 2, 16 and 17. It's going to be a most unusual passage. And so again, I hope you keep your Bible open. We're going to be looking at one other passage of Scripture. Proverbs 2, 16 and 17. Here we go. So you will be delivered from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. Now, listen, both verses show us the beauty, the sacredness of marriage. And I want you to think, I want you to realize, boy, this this seems like a really unusual passage. As a matter of fact, it almost seems like it would point to the exact opposite. And so let's listen to it again. So you will be delivered from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words, who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. What is it that we can learn about marriage through these two verses? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for your word. We pray your blessing on it, the hearing of it, the reading of it, the preaching of it. Lord, may your word and the work of the Holy Spirit change our hearts today. 
Lord, we need to hear from you. And so we thank you, Lord, for what you're going to do. May you receive the glory, the honor, and praise. Lord, may someone be saved today. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Now, before we get into the first point, here's the danger. The danger is going to be that for anyone who's been married more than five years or for for anyone who's not within five years of getting married, we're all going to sit, sit here and think, okay, this isn't for me. I've heard this before. Doug, you have no idea how long we've been married. We've been married for 52 years, and so I really think that there's probably not a whole lot you can teach us about marriage. That's the danger. I was talking with Parker Hayes, and I don't know if Parker, Parker's been working out in the parking lot this morning, and and so thankful for our parking lot greeters. Parker and I walked up to the church together this morning about five after seven. And so Parker, we're just making conversation, and he says, what are you preaching on this morning? I said, I'm preaching on marriage. And he said, oh, I I don't don't need to hear that. I said, Parker, hang on. Did you know that for anyone who goes to college, which he's in college right now, for anyone who goes to college and graduates, there is a 60% chance you will get married to someone that you met in college right after you get out. So Parker, what that means is you're within probably about four to five years of getting married. I thought he was going to turn around and go get back in his car and head home. Okay, that's not what I want to hear. But that's the truth of the matter. And so, friends, all of us need to hear this. We can't ever say, well, I've been married long enough that there's really nothing left in the Bible to teach me about marriage. And so what's the first thing that we can pick up then about marriage? That marriage is designed and defined by God. And I want you to see where we get that. Go with me again to Proverbs 2, verse 16. So you will be delivered from the forbidden woman. Well, isn't that interesting that the scripture would use the word forbidden in some translations. In other translations, you're going to see the word strange. So you will be delivered from the strange woman. And again, we think, okay, does that mean I'm going to be delivered from a, a, someone who's kind of weird? No. The word strange there means outside. As a matter of fact, if you think about it, it's the same way we use it today. If you were to see something on the ground, you say, hmm, that's strange. What that means is not necessarily that it's just weird, but it's outside the norm of what I would expect to see laying there on the ground. It's strange. If someone were to say, hey, do you know that person? And if you were to say, no, they're a complete stranger to me, that means they are outside my acquaintances, my friendships. Okay, so the scripture says, so you will be delivered from the outside woman. Okay, what's she outside? Well, there's two possibilities. Did you know that this word in the Hebrew that we translate strange or forbidden can also mean ethnically, ethnicity, can mean ethnically outside. So what that could mean is that this is someone who's outside the borders of the promised land, outside the borders of Israel, and so that's why this is a strange woman. I don't think that's the case here. You remember, Scripture is always its own best commentary. And in verse 17, it says that this person forgets the covenant of her God. Well, that sounds like an Israelite woman. So it's an Israelite woman who is outside. Well, well, then she's not outside ethnicity borders. What is she outside? She is outside divinely assigned parameters that God has given to marriage. 
She is outside the responsibilities that God has placed on us in marriage, which argues the point God is the one who designs and defines marriage. Folks, as much as society would want you to think, oh no, marriage is just us. We came up with the idea of marriage. It's just cultural who, culture who produced it. It's evolution that produced it. That is not true. God is the one who designed and defined marriage. And as a matter of fact, God himself officiated at the very first wedding ceremony. Is it not amazing that 6,000 years ago, God officiated the first wedding ceremony and to even yesterday afternoon, when I got to do a wedding ceremony, yesterday afternoon, we are still doing the same things in every marriage ceremony, which is a man leaves his father and mother and he is joined to his wife and the two become one flesh. God did that. As a matter of fact, God not only officiated at the first wedding ceremony, but then God uses the picture of marriage to be a portrayal of his relationship with his people, the Israelites. If you remember throughout the history of the Israelites, whenever they would stray away and flirt with other gods, do you guys see the, the picture of dating, of relationship, of, of marriage in that? The Israelites would go flirt with other gods, and God would say to them, you're being adulterous. It's why the very first commandment of the Ten Commandments is, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Because the Israelites had said, forsaking all other gods, we serve one God. And in a marriage ceremony, that man yesterday and that bride yesterday, he said, forsaking all other women, I give myself to you. Forsaking all other men, she said, I give myself to you. God uses marriage to portray the picture of his relationship with his people. Did you know that God used marriage the marriage context in bringing his own son into the world. It is a key part of the story that Mary and Joseph were engaged, they were betrothed, but had not yet come together. That's a key part of the birth of Jesus Christ, that he was born of a virgin. Did you know that Jesus performed his first miracle at a wedding ceremony? Did you know that the picture of Christ and his church, Christ and his people is the bridegroom with the bride? And did you know that someday in heaven for all those who have put their faith in Christ, we will get to experience the marriage supper of the Lamb? That is how important marriage is. God designed it and God defined it. And the way God defined marriage is from Genesis chapter 2. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. And you guys, please know that before every service, I have prayed in my heart, Lord, let the love of Jesus Christ come through in my heart. Because if this morning you believe that marriage is between a man and a woman only, I want you to know you are in the vast minority of this world. Society is now at the point where we can redefine what God designed and defined, and we can't. And if you're thinking, well, you're being, you're being offensive, you're being harsh, 
you're being rude to those in the homosexual or lesbian community, please know I'm not trying to be either one of those. If we want to talk about the issue of inheritance, that two people could name each other in an inheritance, in a will or a state, if we're talking about insurance benefits and all of those things, friends, listen, I have no problem at all with two people, same-sex relationship, having rights and privileges. I have no problem with that. Call it a partnership. Call it a legal union. Let's give it a name, but don't call it marriage. It's not, we, we can't redefine a word that God defined and designed. And so marriage was designed and defined by God. Here's the second thing. Marriage is a covenant relationship. Marriage is a covenant relationship. Where do we get that? Looking in with scripture with me. Verse 17, who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. Okay, two words are extremely important. The first one, it's the word forsakes. Who forsakes the companion of her youth. Please know that's a really harsh word. It's a strong word. It is not, uh, we'll just went away for a few minutes. This is a word which means to desert, to abandon, to neglect, to leave. That's the word that is used here. It, it, again, it is not a casual word. This, by using this very word, which by the way, is the same word that God would use against his chosen people when they would stray away from him. You have abandoned me. You have deserted me. It's also the same word that when God says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Same word. And so please hear this. It is a word which helps us to understand there is a strong relationship here between these two people. This is the companion of her youth. And so last September, my family, we got to go to Disney World, which seems like two decades ago now. It's amazing how time has been so warped during this. And so there was a ride that we were all going to get to be on. All 16 of us get on the same Ride, And so obviously you, you get in line and as we're working our way up, there is a ride operator, a man who's talking with us. And as a matter of fact, our daughter-in-law really started talking with him and he was helping our family. Okay, we ride the ride, we get off the ride. As we get off the ride, we say bye to this guy and thank him one more time. Now, can you imagine if that guy said, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. Why, why are you guys leaving me? Why, why are you deserting me? Why are you abandoning me? And we think, well, that seems a little strong. I mean, we just met you seven hours ago when we first got in line. And I mean, we had conversation, but my goodness, we're not deserting you or abandoning you. We didn't, we didn't have that kind of relationship. By the Bible, using the very word forsakes, it helps us understand there is a commitment here. It's the same word that's used whenever a soldier abandons his post. You were assigned, you were committed, there's a relationship. But boy, it gets even stronger whenever you read then and forgets the covenant of her God. And if you're thinking, well, it sounds like you're building an argument on one verse. Hang on, 
Let's look at Malachi. It's the last book of the Old Testament. Look at Malachi chapter 2. Look at these two verses. And this second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, why does he not? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Marriage is a covenant relationship. And if you're asking, what does covenant mean? It means oath binding. A covenant relationship is an oath binding, a promise binding, a vow binding relationship. Friends, that's, the reason that's so important for us to hear is because in our society we hear, well, I don't need a piece of paper to tell me that I love someone. Folks, marriage is far more than a piece of paper. It was designed by God. It was defined by God. It is portrayed of, of, of the representation of him and his people. There's far more to marriage. It's a covenant relationship. It's oath-binding. There are promises involved. As a matter of fact, that's the very heart of the ceremony. Did you know that when, when a ceremony begins, it's all building up to the point where they turn and face each other and make promises. That's really the climactic moment, and then, th then you have the pronouncing and all that. But boy, the key part, as a matter of fact, at the end of a ceremony, I get to say these words, which is one of the coolest things a pastor gets to do. At the end of the ceremony, I get to say, for as much, the ceremony yesterday is Bryant and Corby, for as much as you, Bryant, and you, Corby, have proclaimed this marriage covenant to live together in holy matrimony by the authority vested in me as the minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ and by the laws of the great state of Oklahoma, I declare you to be husband and wife. I get to declare that. But folks, I'm not the one that brought them together. Jesus says in Mark chapter 10, verse 9, what God has joined together, let no one separate. I'm just declaring what God has done. It is a covenant relationship. Promises are made. Okay, so I want to take you to premarital counseling. In one of the premarital counseling sessions, and so let's say they're getting married on June 20th, because I think I have a wedding on June 20th. And some of you are thinking, you think you have a wedding? I'm, okay, just stay with me. All right, June 20th, premarital counseling session. Here's, oftentimes, here's what I'll say to the couple. I'll say, have you guys ever stood next to each other? Uh, yeah, yeah, we've, we've stood next to each other. Have you ever stood next to each other in front of people? Yeah, yeah, we've done that. Have you ever held hands? Yes. Have you ever kissed? Yeah, we've kissed. Have you ever told each other that you love each other? Yes, we have. Okay, well, then I guess you're married. And they'll say, no, we're, we're not married. Okay, so... What then is going to happen different on June 20th? Because on June 20th, you're going to stand next to each other. You're going to stand next to each other in front of people. You're going to hold hands. You're going to kiss. You're going to tell each other you love each other. What's going to be different about June 20th that you haven't already done? On June 20th, they will stand before God and witnesses and make promises to one another to live together and hold him after one for the rest of their life. That 
is what's different. It is a covenant relationship. This isn't a contract that you're signing. This is covenant. And here's the last point. And the ultimate meaning of that covenant relationship is that it's a picture of the covenant-keeping love between Christ and his church. Folks, there are meanings to marriage. One of the meanings of marriage is procreation. It's how God gave us to bring children into the world, into an environment, the safest and healthiest environment for a child to be brought up in is in the marriage. That's one of the reasons. One of the reasons for marriage is fellowship. God saw that it was not good for man to be alone. But did you know that the ultimate meaning of marriage is that it is a picture of the covenant-keeping love between Christ and his church? You see, there's something unique about the marriage relationship. There are, there are human-to-human covenant relationships in the Bible. Everyone listen. There are human-to-human covenant relationships in the Bible. David and Jonathan, you remember, they were best friends. They entered into a covenant relationship with one another. That's human-to-human. Then there's God-human relationships where God entered into a relationship with Noah. God entered into a relationship with Abraham, Moses, David. Marriage is a human-to-human covenant relationship, but it's unique because it also has the vertical aspect What God has joined together. It is not just two people deciding to do something. What God has joined together. There is the horizontal and the vertical. It's what's meant by a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. You see, that's a picture of what God intends for us in salvation. In salvation, when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you become one with him. John chapter 17, I in you and you in me. And in the Father, we are one. That one flesh. Which in other words, for marriage to work its best, we've got to do then what Christ did for us. We've got to empty ourselves. We can't hang on to whatever glory we think we want to hang on to. We've got to serve, not be served. We've got to come with a sacrificial commitment. I'm not getting married because I think that this will be for, meet all my needs, but instead, I love you and I want to meet your needs. Isn't it amazing that we live in a world who's trying to get to, to the point of saying, we don't need marriage. We don't need this permanence to marriage. And yet, the very words that we sing in songs that people say to each other, they say things like, I will always love you. Isn't it amazing that the deepest expressions of our love point to permanence? I will always love you. No matter what you do, I want you to know I'll always love you. That is what God is showing us in salvation. Is that when I put my faith in Christ, even when I still mess up, God still loves me. 
and he doesn't send me away. That is what I desire for you this morning. I hope you just heard what I just said. I'm praying for our marriages in this church. I'm praying for those who are looking to get married or maybe you're on the other side of marriage. I want you to know I'm praying for you, but most of all, we're praying that today someone would get married to Jesus Christ. That someone would say, forsaking all other gods, forsaking any attempt to try to save myself and forgive me of my sins, Lord, I put my faith in Jesus Christ who loved me and gave himself for me. Lord, come into my heart and save me. That is our deepest prayer. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that right now, if there's someone here who has never experienced the covenant-keeping love of Jesus Christ, Lord, I pray that this would be the day. I pray that someone would be forgiven of all their sin and would begin a journey of following Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray for brothers and sisters in Christ here today who need to recommit hearts to the Lord. Lord, I pray for those that you're leading to this church family and those that you're calling out. And Lord, I do pray for our marriages in this church family. All those that are watching online, Lord, I pray that our marriages would be pictures that each of us, husbands and wives, we would live sacrificially committed to one another. Lord, I pray that we would honor the promises that have been made. And so, Lord, I pray your blessing on our families, on our marriages. And we thank you, Lord. May your will be done in every heart. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.